the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're already rocking and or rolling. It is a Tuesday, the 21st morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2023. Here's what we're doing today. Coming up. In about, now we'll call it 30 minutes, 35 minutes-ish. At about 9.40, we'll talk to Ohio's 7th Congressional District Representative, Congressman Jim Jordan. We will talk to him. He is also, of course, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee about a host of extraordinarily important things. Marjorie Taylor Greene is calling for a national divorce of red states from blue states due to irreconcilable division. Do you like the idea? Do you agree with the idea? Some are calling her a traitor. Others are calling her um, brilliant. And I'm going to ask Jim Jordan whether or not there is a way for us to get over our irreconcilable divisions or if divorce is an option to be considered. Those who call her a traitor uh, kind of forget the fact that this country was born because we initiated a divorce from Britain. Right? We'll talk to him about Tucker Carlson having sole control of 41 uh, 41 hours. 
I can speak. 41,000 hours. 41, not 14, 41,000 hours of video footage from January 6th. All of it was granted by Speaker Kevin McCarthy to Tucker Carlson exclusively to present whatever he wants, I guess, to the American people. I don't have any problem with Tucker in this regard, but I do have a problem with him having the only access to this footage. Because you have heard me talking with Tom Z and with uh, Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote. They have plans that would really, really make the most of 41,000 man hours, which is almost impossible uh, to comprehend the scope of that video. What, you know, how can they choose what to do? There are ways, there are, uh, there are, there is artificial intelligence software. There are algorithms that can be written and run to comb through that footage for the most important things. And uh, uh, nobody's going to get a shot at it. Apparently, only Tucker gets control of this. I'm going to ask Jim Jordan about that. Also going to ask him about the $500, uh, $500 million latest outlay to Ukraine. How long will this blank check policy last? And more. So Jim Jordan and I have got a lot to talk about coming up at about 9.40, 9.45 this morning. Then at 10.10, you know we're going to have a lot to talk about with Peter Kersenow. Peter, of course, is uh, our regular Tuesday guest, and he sat in, as you know, on Friday while I was out of state. So uh, Pete and I have a lot to discuss as well, some of the same topics, as a matter of fact, that we will talk about with Jim Jordan. So those are the guests. we got Jordan and Kirsten now. It's one of our best double headers, if you will. Uh, you know, back-to-back Jordan and Kirsten now didn't get much better than that. And then, of course, you will be uh, the most important guest of the day when you dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. You know, I like to put you on the radio as often as possible, and I do uh, want to make sure that you uh, have an opportunity to be heard. So that's what we are planning to do for today. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, divorce, uh, and we're also going to talk about the media because we got a couple of stories that are very, very interesting about the media, both left-wing and right-wing. If you want to call Fox News right-wing, you want to call MSNBC left-wing. I'll explain after we rise. Patriots, wherever you might be, go ahead and stand and join us for a Pledge of Allegiance. Put your hand on your heart, face a flag if you have one. If you do not, that is okay. Just imagine one. If you are a believer in Joe Biden's America Last policies, and Ukraine first policies, well, I question whether you truly understand what loyalty to that flag and the republic it represents really means. Therefore, you are exempted from the request to stand and say this pledge. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, let's begin with... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation... Under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you stood with your hand on your heart while I did that in your own kitchen or living room or bathroom or den, if you stood with your hand on your heart in a public place where you're working and listening to me through your phone or something, uh, I love you. I just love you. I respect you, and uh, I thank you. So we got some media stories we're going to start with this morning. And we're going to talk about two very different types of stories. Number one, we're going to talk about our friends at Fox News. Our friends at Fox News may be in some trouble. And when I say our friends, I'm using that kind of half sincerely and half mockingly because I know a lot of people are done with Fox News and a lot of people, uh, you know, got furious with Fox News on election night 2020 
because of their early call for Joe Biden in Arizona and how that impacted the rest of the other races that were not, you know, where the polls were not closed yet and these kinds of things. Um, it, it's been a love-hate relationship for a lot of people uh, as it pertains to certain personalities on Fox News. But i got to share this with you. Fox News might be in some ser- very serious trouble. Because Fox News' number one star personalities who have been staunch defenders of President Trump um, may be just completely faking it. They may be completely in the pocket uh, of President Donald Trump out of fear that he will destroy them if they don't kiss his rear end. Now, this is all coming out. This is a story that came out on Friday as a result of a massive lawsuit, a $1.6 billion defamation suit. If you don't know about this, listen up. $1.6 billion defamation suit that was filed by Dominion, the Dominion Voting Systems Company, the one that so many of us believe um, was completely inept or corrupt. I don't know which. If they were inept because they allowed their, their machines that are so easily hacked and manipulated to be uh, uh, interfered with during that during that election, or if they intended for it to be that way and they're corrupt and responsible for part of the fraud. I don't know which one it is, but I do believe that they were uh, they were not uh, on the up and up one way or the other. Well, they filed a 1.6 billion dollar lawsuit against Fox, the entire channel, because of some of the things that were said on the air that the hosts privately admitted to one another in text messages that they did not believe. So this is the way the story goes. Emails and text messages and other testimony from Fox News personalities revealed in a 192-page filing by Dominion this past Thursday. That's why I said the story came out on Friday. Uh, Show on-air personalities privately casting doubt on the reporting they were actually doing and the opinions they were actually offering. Uh, specifically that Dominion's voting machines were rigged, one way or another, as I said, in Joe Biden's favor. The communications are part of this lawsuit, which seek to prove the network either knew the statements it aired were false and did so anyway, or they recklessly disregarded their accuracy. Now, here is some of the information provided by Yahoo. Now, Yahoo, by the way, is left-wing. And if Yahoo can do anything to take down Fox News, they will. They absolutely will. So make, make no mistake. And understand as you listen to some of this report that it is being written in the from the perspective of a left-wing news agency like Yahoo, uh, and it's going to try to make Fox News look as bad as possible. On the flip side, there is a lot to question here about Fox News. The network's primetime hosts, Tucker Carlson, Sean Can- uh, Hannity, and Laura Ingram, privately dismissed Trump campaign lawyers Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, who were pushing the voter fraud claims. Quote, Tucker Carlson to Laura Ingram, November 18, 2020, quote, Sidney Powell is lying. I caught her. It's insane. Response from Laura Ingram to Tucker. Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Carlson's reply, quote, it's unbelievably offensive to me. Our viewers are good people and they believe it, end quote. Carlson also referred to Powell as an unguided missile and dangerous as hell. Now, if you don't recall, Sidney Powell was one of the attorneys who came out and said, we've got evidence that Dominion cheated. We've got evidence of the fraud. We're going to release the Kraken. Remember all of that from uh, right after the election? 
And a lot of people were like, come on, Sydney. I was on the air going, do it, release it, let's see it, let's hear it. Well, according to this uh, filing in this lawsuit, Fox hosts did not believe her but went on the air anyway and continued to say that the election was stolen and that Dominion was largely responsible. Quote, the whole narrative that Sydney was pushing, I did not believe it for one second. Nobody ever convinced me that their argument was anywhere near accurate or true, end quote. That came from Sean Hannity. In a text message, Hannity described Powell as a effing lunatic. Um, Fox Corp Chairman, Fox Corp Chairman uh, Rupert Murdoch wrote in an email November 19th, quote, really crazy stuff and damaging, end quote, regarding claims that Rudy Giuliani was making on Fox News. Dana Perino, another Fox anchor, called allegations of voter fraud against Dominion total BS, insane, and nonsense in text messages and emails. The messages included in this filing reveal panic among the hosts over the network being the first to project that Biden would would win Arizona, which angered Trump. And I will tell you, it angered me, too. We talked about it the next day. It angered me, too. I mean, they had some states with, you know, 70-some percent of precincts reporting, and they couldn't uh, project a winner. They had Arizona with, like, 3%, and, uh, oh, Biden won. Like, wait, what? Which may have just completely um, stopped Arizona voters who had not yet voted from bothering to go to the polls late in the evening you know, before the polls closed, because they had already heard Fox project a winner. Oh, what's the point? I remember being very angry about that, too, not just Trump. But anyway, back to the point about Fox in this lawsuit. Tucker Carlson wrote in a text message to his producer two days after the election, quote, he could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. Talking about Trump. What he is good at, meaning Trump, is destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion of that. End quote. That was Tucker, two days after, according to this, these filings in this suit. Tucker and Sean Hannity were incensed that White House uh, correspondent Jackie Heinrich of Fox News fact-checked President Trump in a tweet that included what Yahoo perceives to be false claims about Dominion. Quote, this is Jackie Heinrich responding to a Trump tweet. Quote, There is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised, end quote. In response to Jackie Heinrich tweeting that, Hannity, no, I'm sorry, Carlson texted Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity and said, quote, please get her fired. Seriously, what the F? It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Not a joke. Hannity responded by saying he had already spoken to the Fox CEO, Suzanne Scott, who relayed the message to other top executives that Heinrich was seriously has serious nerve doing this and warning that Fox viewers are going to be further disgusted with the network. So the portrayal of this by the left, including you know Dominion here, but also on CNN and on MSNBC and everywhere else, is that Fox knew from the top down that the claims of election fraud that gave Biden the victory was total BS, and yet they went on the air to feed their audience the lies anyway. And that's the nature of the lawsuit between Dominion and Fox. Now here's what I'm going to say in response to it, and I want your response to it. I don't care what Fox News personalities said on the air, and I don't care what they texted one another. I still firmly believe 
that that election was stolen in a combination of ways, whether it be through voting machines or through uh, ballot harvesting or through uh, Dropbox fraud, which we saw in the movie 2000 Meals, or a combination of thereof. I, I, there is no one who will ever be able to convince me that a doddering, old, decrepit, dementia-addled Joe Biden who spent the entirety of the campaign in his basement calling lids at 10 o'clock in the morning on campaign days, refusing to campaign, got 81 million votes. I absolutely do not believe that for one second. Now, whether Fox News believed the things that they were saying privately compared to what they were saying publicly, in my opinion, is irrelevant. It is irrelevant. They have the right to go on the air with their opinions, whether they hold them deeply or not. Because guess what cannot be put on trial, even in a $1.6 billion lawsuit? You know what can't be put on trial? Your thoughts. Your mind. What you felt and what you believed versus what you said. That cannot be put on trial. The First Amendment says they had the right, even if privately they said, man, I don't think it was stolen, but it could have been. Oh, man, I think Sidney Powell is full of blank, but who knows? I'm going on and saying I don't believe the results of this. And they have every right to do that because nobody can can control or govern or limit or censor or whatever your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own beliefs. And nobody can, can sue you. Nobody can sue you for what they perceive to be a mismatching of what you actually believe and what you reported. They just can't. Now, there is an element in law that says when somebody is being sued for defamation of character or for slander or for libel, if you intentionally mislead and you know for a fact that what you are reporting is not true about somebody and you say it anyway there is a case to be made for that defamation slander or libel if you read it or say it but if you're not sure or if you are not sure about certain elements of it but you are sure about others and you go forward as long as you truly do not uh, believe that you are intentionally promulgating a lie then you are absolutely protected by the First Amendment. And I think that's what's going on here. Some Fox personalities, including the anchors, the core of the lineup, the Tucker and Hannity and Ingram primetime lineup, they may have said, I don't believe Sidney Powell and I don't believe Rudy Giuliani. They may have said, I don't trust any one of those individuals and still may have believed that the election was stolen. That is in their own heads and nobody can censor or regulate that. So they're coming for Fox in every way that they can. But Fox did give them some ammunition through some of these text messages, which are there, by the way, somebody told me yesterday, any text message you have ever sent is forever. You think that if you delete your phone's text messages that they're not kept in the cyber world in clouds, you're sorely mistaken. Anything you have ever tweeted, or excuse me, texted, is fair game and can be recovered. It's like putting it on a billboard. That's the way it was described to me yesterday. Uh, And there's nothing you can do about it. It's frightening and it's terrifying to know because you think back to everything you've ever texted, anything that you have ever done on uh, on what you thought was a private message between yourself and somebody else, you you are in some serious denial there.
I've got more thoughts on this, but I want yours too. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. We'll be back. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Okay, onward. It's uh, 9.37. We're going to talk to Congressman Jim Jordan in about eight minutes. Uh, Looking forward to that chat. So I'm going to give you another angle of the media that we're talking about this morning and uh, whether or not they're always trustworthy. As a matter of fact, I think most of us agree the legacy media, the big uh, uh, media, the networks and so forth, um, are not are absolutely not. But let's talk we're talking about cable news networks now. I just told you the story about Fox and the revelation according to this lawsuit that many of the hosts do not believe privately that which they say on air publicly. Now I'm going to talk about MSNBC. I'm going to do it through the very interesting lens of Bill Maher. Bill Maher, noted liberal, comedian slash host on HBO for a couple of decades now doing uh, uh his show, discussing with an MSNBC anchor MSNBC's dishonesty, particularly when it comes to things that can harm the public, not just election results, as we talked about with the Fox story, but things that can harm the public, such as the truth about the virus, the truth about the Chinese flu, Wuhan flu, call it what you will, and the quote-unquote solution to it, which was supposed to be the air-quoted vaccines. Listen to Bill Maher call out MSNBC for deceiving their viewers intentionally and knowingly. So in the paper today, kind of a big story, I think. I wonder how much it's going to get covered in the liberal media, because it's about how natural immunity. They did a giant study, 65 countries, or maybe something like 65 countries, many, many different studies. They looked at them all. Natural immunity, as good or better than the vaccine. Something I've been saying since the beginning, and I get called an anti-vaxxer. That's not an anti-vaxxer. This is the kind of thing, I, you know, my problem with the media from both sides is not that you, you guys lie. It's that you tell me your side of the story that you want me to know. You don't tell me the whole story. I'd be curious as to how much play this story gets, because I, I, I remember reading that they did a study of... Republicans versus Democrats, the question was, what percentage, this is like a year and a half ago, what percentage of people who get COVID require hospitalization? The answer is less than 1%. Almost half of Democrats thought it was over 50%. They listen to your network. Where do they get that kind of information? So Bill Maher laying it out very clearly and very accurately. How do people think that 50% of COVID patients end up in the hospital when the answer is 1%? By watching MSNBC, he's right. By watching CNN, by reading the front page of every left-wing newspaper in America, by turning on the networks like ABC, CBS, and and, uh, NBC. That's how they get that mistaken information. Yet the left prides itself on being the ones who want to try to um, suppress misinformation that could be dangerous to the public. Well, they intentionally suppressed information about the real severity of COVID, and they put the public in danger because it made people run to the pharmacies and doctor's offices and clinics to roll up their sleeves to take something that they didn't have any idea how serious the side effects could or would be, all because of uh, these news uh, these uh, news presentations. And what Bill Maher brought up there, by the way, 
He misspoke slightly when he said 65 countries. The story that he said, I wonder how much play this will get in the mainstream media, you already know the answer to that. None. Because this story was three days ago. And no one is reporting on it. No one, except for maybe this show, maybe Dr. Gorka's show. I was on with Dr. G yesterday, maybe some others on the Salem uh, in the Salem sphere, if you will. Nobody's reporting on the story that Bill Maher just talked about, which is natural immunity provides at least as high, if not higher, protection against COVID as an mRNA, quote, vaccine, study reveals. So he misspoke when he said 65 countries. What this research that was reported and published in The Lancet, one of the most respected medical journals in the world, the Lancet reported the research that analyzed 65 different studies from 19 different countries to determine the level of protection from past infection, which means natural immunity, against subsequent reinfection, symptomatic COVID-19 disease, and severe disease. The study noted, quote, our meta-analyses showed that protection from past infection and any symptomatic disease was high for ancestral alpha, beta, and delta variants, but was substantially lower for the Omicron BA1 variant. Although protection from reinfection from all variants wanes over time, our analysis of the available data suggests that the level of protection afforded by the by previous infection is at least as high, if not higher, than the than provided by two-dose vaccination using high-quality mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech, end quote. You understand that? We were right. I came on the air and reported to you my antibodies counts after I got those tests done, after I got COVID, and I knew I was more protected than you would ever be by getting that jab. I was right, we were right, and this story will go completely ignored in the mainstream media because they would then have been proven wrong. That is what's wrong with our media. We'll be back with Jim Jordan after this. Okay, 945 now. Always Right Radio continues as promised. Let's bring in Ohio's 4th Congressional District, District Representative, I mistakenly said seventh before because I know I lost him. Uh, he was my congressman until the redrawn districts, and now he's not anymore. But he, mo- his district moved. He didn't. He's still in District 4. It's just that it was redrawn. And he's, of course, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jordan. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, thanks very much. By the way, I'm very happy with Bob Latta as my guy now. Uh, but but I, yeah. you were my guy for good a man. number of years. So. <laughs> Uh, Congressman, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ground to cover here, and I want to I want to just dive right into it. And the first thing is I want to I want to ask you about is uh, President Biden's surprise trip to Kiev and his pledge of another five hundred million dollars to the Ukrainian war effort. Moreover, John Kirby on Sunday on uh, one of the talk shows saying that this is indeed indefinite. We have no end game in sight. We would like it to end sooner rather than later, but we will continue to fund Ukraine until. Uh, it's over. They just won't say what it's over looks like. They say, uh, quote, uh, as yeah. long as it takes. No. Congressman, how long are we going to continue the blank check policy before you guys, in the you know who control the purse strings, step in and say that's enough now? Well, I, I, I don't. I don't vote for this stuff. I don't. I don't vote to send more money over there because you, you just hit the, the the main point, which is what's the goal, what's the objective, and then t- if you can't tell me that, how do you measure if you ever get there? So, like, that's the problem. You're supposed to, when you get into these kind of things, if you decide to get into them, you got to have a clear goal. How do you define victory? And then how do you exit when it's when it's when you've reached that? 
that victory or reach that objective. We don't know any of that, and that's the problem. So uh, this makes no sense to, I think, most Americans, and it certainly makes no sense that the president on President's Day goes to, uh, goes to Kiev, and yet we got all kinds of concerns here in our country, and of course, as we know, right here in our own state. We're in uh, for $113 billion already before this next half billion goes through. Um, do you know, again, representing the Congress, which is supposed to control our money, do you know if every nickel is accounted for? Do we know that every dollar we've given them is being used for the military purposes of stopping the Russians, Russian incursion, and that it's not being used elsewhere or being put away and laundered for other uses? Because I think the American people deserve to know that when their paycheck is a little lighter every Friday and there's a little line item on the withholdings that says Ukraine fund, they need to know where those dollars are going. Yeah, and and of course, you know, well, we don't know for sure, but you got to believe some of this is not winding up where it's supposed to be. Some of it's not doing what it's what's designed to do. I mean, this is when you're when you're talking that amount, that volume of money, that amount of money, um, in, in in that rapid of a time frame, in less than a year, uh, the hundred what is one hundred thirteen billion? And now, as you said, it's yeah. a 500, uh, 500 million promise. I mean, come on. So, and particularly when you're sending it to a country that has a history of all kinds of shady things going on with oligarchs and everything else. So, uh, yeah, that's. That's something that needs to happen. There needs to be accountability there for the money that's already been sent out the door. But frankly, we need to stop and tell Europe, look, this this is important. We we support Ukraine. What Russia did was wrong. But come on, uh, Europe, you step up and help out with this instead of the American taxpayer. Uh, that that that's that's where it should go. And again, I think that's just good common sense. Never forget what what we heard again. Uh, I, I think we talked about this last week, Bob. But but uh, the best line in the, in the State of the Union night was from Governor Huckabee Sanders when she said. The divide today in America is normal versus crazy. And some of these things, again, you just, you just, on and on it goes, more crazy things that just don't fit with common sense. Um, that's the big problem I see with this, with this by administration. Well, I'm glad you just said that because that leads me into my next question. But just to wrap this particular subject, I want to repeat it, and I'm sorry for the redundancy. And I don't mean you personally, like you said, you haven't voted for it. But when will Congress as a body, when will the House draft a resolution that says, our our generosity to the Ukrainian people has a cap. Is it is it two hundred billion? Is it five hundred billion? Is it a trillion? Is it two years? I mean, because when they keep saying as long as it takes, literally there is no well, motivation whatsoever for the Ukrainians to end this because the money will just keep flowing. Well, so what, what when, is, when will Congress do that? Yeah, no, I I think you'll probably see a move from you know House Republicans say wait a time out we're not going to just keep giving giving the money there I think I think there's a it's different now because the Republicans now control the House it's now Speaker McCarthy not Speaker Pelosi so I think it's different there too but again what is the goal like do, do, is when it, we're going to end this for the long haul until till till Ukraine wins what does that mean does that mean that Crimea comes back into Ukraine because Crimea went to the Russian control. Uh, largely under Obama. So what does that actually mean? And that's, that's my point. Like, we don't have the, the, the objective, the goal, the, the outcome that has to be reached before you can, you can say that that's, that's victory. So that's the biggest problem when you're in these, this, this thing could just keeps going on and on because you don't know what the objective is. Yeah, that's exactly right, Congressman Jordan. Um, you mentioned uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying, you know, this is a battle between, uh, what was it? Uh, 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 cra- the divide is normal versus crazy. Normal, normal versus, versus crazy. crazy, thank you. 
That brings me to Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is drawing all kinds of reactions from people in Congress and out uh, for a tweet that she sent, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or if it was Sunday, but that said, it's time for a national divorce. Um, there are irreconcilable divisions among us that we need. We cannot overcome these. We need to be a different, a different nation of red states and blue states. How do you respond to that uh, suggestion that we completely, essentially, have a secession? Well, I, I, I think, look, I want to keep the country as uh, the United States, the greatest country ever. We want to keep it together. We just want to win the debate, and we want to convince the people who are, who are you know, going with all the crazy ideas that it's time to come back to normal common sense ideas, and you can just go down the list. And I think the vast majority of the country, whether they're in red states or blue states, believes that you shouldn't defund the police. I think the vast majority of the country, whether you're in red states or blue states, doesn't think that boys should compete against girls in, in, in sports. I think the vast majority of the country thinks that you shouldn't have an administration that says, oh, we know it's a Chinese spy balloon, but we're going to let it fly over the country for a week before we shoot it down. And then the things we don't know what they are, we're going to shoot them down right away. I, I mean, I just I think you can just go on and on. I think the vast majority of the country thinks that whether you're in red, red states or blue states, that you uh, that only citizens should be voting in elections. So I think you just win the debate. And that's what we got to do. And then we got to win the White House, uh, which I'm hoping, as, as you know, Bob, that it's President Trump who's our next president. Congressman, I'm going to just repeat to you what I wrote in response to somebody who was criticizing uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene about this. Um, called it treasonous to suggest that we have a national divorce. We need to see a marriage counselor. We need to find a way to, you know, have the have the debate continue, but have it be, you know, responsible in everything you just said. But they said that uh, calling for a national divorce is treasonous. That would be calling for an end to the republic. And my response to that person was. Uh, point of fact, um, the existence of this country and the foundation of this country came from a divorce that we we filed from Great Britain. Uh, that was the time to do that. I, is there ever, in your opinion, a time where such a thing could be necessary again, a national divorce of this type? Not saying you want one right now, but the point of fact is that's how we were born. No, I understand our history. Uh, I think what we have to focus on is, is the Constitution and defending the Constitution, protecting the First Amendment. And frankly, that's, that's, the, that's the heart of our focus on the Judiciary Committee. I mean, we're going to the border uh, tomorrow. I'll be, on the, I'll be on the Arizona border tomorrow with Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, part of what we got to do is say, look, being a country means you have a border that's, under, that, that's controlled, that's secure. Uh, and now we're finding out that even our northern border, you got people going up there and coming across. So uh, defending the First Amendment, this is what the Select Committee is all about, defending the First Amendment. I think that's where we got to focus, go back to the Constitution that was formed by those, those amazing individuals who started this place, this experiment in liberty we call America. That's what we got to focus on and make sure America continues to be the greatest country ever. Congressman Jim Jordan is our guest. He chairs the House Judiciary Committee and also the Subcommittee on Weaponization of Government Against the People. Um, let me go back to a different committee here, and we'll talk about the J6 Committee and uh, the video footage, of course, that we were not allowed to see by yeah. them. So Speaker McCarthy has decided to give full access to what we thought originally was 14,000 hours. Now we know is 41,000 hours yeah. of video yeah. footage from all surveillance and body cams and everything else from that day, all to Tucker Carlson. How do you feel about that all going to one person and one platform rather than you and I talked about this, about you know organizations yeah. like True the Vote that want to use the uh, AI and algorithms to analyze this data and this uh, footage for, you know, for all the right reasons. How do you feel about this just going to Tucker? 
Well, I'm glad it's out there. And I think, I mean, you know, Tucker, like, like you, Bob, has been on this issue, uh, talking about the importance of us seeing the facts, seeing the, 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 the data, uh, seeing the video. Um, so I, I'm, I'm totally supportive of, of it being out there. I think it will get crowdsourced. I think it will get out to other, other folks, other, uh, other, you know, people who are going to analyze it, look at it and make sure we get it. Cause I mean, it almost has to, when you're talking that, that amount, I mean, you have what, 40, 40 some thousand hours, uh, yeah. that's, that's an unbelievable amount of, of, of a video you got to go through, data you got to go through. What we're trying to do in our committees, there's also a couple million documents. So I know our committee, I talked with our, our staff director on the Judiciary Committee yesterday and said we're going to work with House administration and we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to go through those you know, millions of documents because we want to see all that information too. And you, we'll search that for keywords and things and we'll, 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 we'll dig into that. But I think it's important it all gets out there. Um, and, you know, Tucker, like, like you has been on uh, been on top of this from the get-go yeah it, it's extremely important again not just for the reasons that you and i have also talked about the uh political prisoners who are still being held from information that or for uh, charges from that day that information gained from this forty-one thousand hours may provide clarity for and uh and prove yep. the you know their cases for them but obviously that's going to take a while with only one source at the moment anyway having access to those forty-one thousand yeah. uh, hours um Congressman, I, I want to ask about something. I, I had Dr. Robert Malone on yesterday. We were talking about COVID, its origins, and and, and you know the responses to it, and thus for, thus. And uh, both Dr. Malone and a previous caller yesterday said you need to talk about this with members of Congress. In fact, one caller said, "We please ask Representative Jordan." I will about the other story, the surrender of American sovereignty that's underway by President Biden negotiating to give. Tedros and the World Health Organization full authority over our response to future pandemics or world health emergencies. The World Health Organization would literally control the entire American economy, would control our civil liberties, tell us where we can go, how we can move, when we can do so. Everything that we experienced the first time around on uh, on our own accord by governors, but on steroids and and literally at the whim of of, of global uh, agencies and organizations. Congressman, how do you feel about that? Crazy. I mean, so the same World Health Organization that that was shilling for China, the, the same uh, you know China who told us that it was. Uh, I always joke and say, you know, it didn't come from a lab. They told us it was a bat to a pangolin to a hippopotamus to Joe Rogan. To, you know, like oh come on, so, of course that's crazy. We we, we saw everything told us our government told us turned out to be false, and now we're supposed to like oh, but you can trust the World Health Organization. Like this is ridiculous and. Uh, I just don't. I just don't see the American people and 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 again, common sense members of Congress uh, standing for this. Yeah, the question is: is how do we stop it? Though, is there any yep. way to stop yeah, this? Is, is this completely in the purview of the executive branch, where he can uh, negotiate this deal, send his State well, Department they, they, there, and make this happen? Well, look again. The way our Constitution works is: if he's negotiating some kind of international agreement, then mm-hmm. then it's then it's you know it's treaty, and it has to be approved by the Senate and. So, but that there's the key. That's, there's that's the key. They're they're saying it's not a treaty. It acts like one, but they will not call it a treaty because they know it would require Senate approval. Then, well, then we we'll, then we'll, we we have to object in the House. We have to jump up and down and <laughs> scream and shout and say this is ridiculous. And I assume it'll get challenged in court. And then you're going to have those. You know, you get you get the good judges that were put in in the Trump administration. Hopefully, get the right kind of decision. But yeah, we got to fight this all the way. 
God willing, God willing, we do uh, challenge that and fight that and stop this. Because you're right. I mean, literally, we're talking sovereignty is 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 on the line here. And let's finish the complete 360 degree turn. Now we started on the uh, Ukraine story. Let's finish with a similar one. Um, there are great concerns coming out of Washington, and people are reacting to it. Um, we're funding Ukraine. What happens when China yeah. decides to start funding and arming Russia? Are we fighting a proxy war against China by way of those two different scenarios? Well, let's hope not, but I'm nervous about that as well, and particularly what we heard from Secretary of State Blinken, uh, I believe, yesterday, saying that there are talks of, of China giving, you know, doing the same for Russia that, that, that the United States is doing for Ukraine uh, in providing weapons. I think that he used the fancy term kinetic, you know, the, but, but weapon systems and, and, and that is that let's let's hope that doesn't happen but um we've talked about this before i think so much of this stems from uh, the weakness that's that's just been projected from this this administration and and from this president and you frankly go back to what happened in the the debacle that was the exit from afghanistan it was just you know that i think is is what's led to so much of this um so let's hope it doesn't happen but uh certainly something that i think we're all watching Congressman Jim Jordan, chair of the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it, sir. And good luck at the border. We look forward to getting your report on that next week. We will. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. That's Jim Jordan. It's 10 o'clock. We'll take our time out now for the top of the hour news. And I told you, you get a uh, kind of a double header today, a daily double. Pick your your expression. But uh, we go from Jordan to Kirsten now. Doesn't get much better than that. That's where we are headed next on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward we roll. It's nine minutes after 10 o'clock now. On this Tuesday morning, the 21st morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Good conversation with Jim Jordan. Very important issues discussed. If you missed any of it, you can catch it on uh, the podcast page, which will be, uh, well, the page is up right now, of course, at whkradio.com. Go to podcast, go to local shows, go to this show, and go to this date. But that particular interview and this show will be uh, available at around 1 o'clock today. About an hour after the end of the show is when we give it to you. But if you missed Jim Jordan, you're going to want to hear that. Likewise, if you miss anything that we're about to do, you're going to want to hear that later on, too. So if you've only got 10, 15 minutes to listen before you've got to turn the radio off, um, make sure you catch the rest of what we're about to give you after that. And, of course, what we're about to give you is our good friend Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow, member of the um, United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's an attorney. He's an author. He is a columnist. He is a law professor. He's the host of the Kersenow Report. And on Friday, he was the host of a radio show that whose phones and power went out. Peter Kersenow, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Bob. That was uh, that was an adventure. I was disappointed that the callers didn't have a chance on open line Friday to call in. And so I had to pontificate for a couple of hours, uh, which I don't mind doing, but I was a little off uh, kilter. I, I had not expected that. And usually I'm pretty good on my feet, but uh, that one caught me off guard. But the staff there is phenomenal. Everybody got everything in, uh, in order really quickly. So uh, we're off and uh, running uh, in short order. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad uh, that you were able to pontificate. If anybody can do it on the fly, you can do it, because uh, your head is filled with so much stuff, I'm surprised it doesn't leak out of your ears. So I'm glad you were able to get it out your mouth uh, in an opportunity, when you had an opportunity. To stuff is a kind way of putting that, Bob. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete. So there's a there's a lot to get in, into here. And, you know, I, I sent you uh, mm-hmm. a few things this morning. As you know, we always prep our show by talking about what we want to cover together. And one of the things that you did not choose as the top of my I'm want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna use anyway, because I want to get your opinion on Don Lemon. Because you and I have talked and you have written extensively <laughs> about the black community and about what problems ail it. Now, in 2023, uh, the argument on the uh, of those on the left, particularly on the left of the racial racial uh, uh, issues in this country, is systemic racism. Of course, it's systemic oppression. It started dur- during slavery. It continued during Jim Crow. It continued in the pre-civil rights era, and it continues today. And we need the only re- you know uh, recourse for this is, of course, as Ibram X. Kendi has uh, continued to say, the only uh, recourse for past oppression is present-day oppression, and the only recourse for present-day oppression is future oppression, and so forth. But um. I want to get your thoughts on this, Pete, because it's so striking. Don Lemon is on the verge of being fired from CNN. Don Lemon, of course, is a gay black man who had his own TV show at night on CNN. The ratings were so abysmal that they dumped him and moved him to the morning where he's part of a three-person panel of hosts, well, two hostesses and himself. And we all know what happened. For those who don't, he made a comment about Nikki Haley and uh, response to Nikki Haley saying that Trump and Biden and the older candidates for president are well past their prime. And Don Lemon said, well, so's Nikki Haley. Everybody knows women are in their prime and in their 20s and 30s and maybe in their 40s. Well, she's in her 50s, so therefore she's past her prime. And, you know, the misogyny card and the sexism card and everything played. So he's on the verge of getting fired. They took him off the show yesterday. And the reason for bringing it up, Pete, as I said, is Don Lemon is a very different human being on the air today than he was just, uh, what, uh, uh, 10 years ago. In 2013, this was how Don Lemon addressed racial issues in America, particularly in the black community. He didn't blame systemic racism. He blamed the black community. Listen to what Don Lemon sounded like in 2013, Pete. Because black people, if you really want to fix the problem, here's just five things that you should think about doing. Here's number five. And if, if, if this doesn't apply to you, if you're not doing this, then it doesn't apply to you. I'm not talking about you. Here's number five. Pull up your pants. Walking around with your ass and your underwear showing is not okay. In fact, it comes from prison. And then it evolved into which role a prisoner would have during male-on-male prison sex. Number four now is the N-word. By promoting the use of that word when it's not germane to the conversation, have you ever considered that you may just be perpetuating the stereotype the master intended, acting like a Now number three, respect where you live. Start small by not dropping trash, littering in your own communities. I've lived in several predominantly white neighborhoods in my life. I rarely, if ever, witness people littering. Number two, finish school. You want to break the cycle of poverty? Stop telling kids they're acting white because they go to school or they speak proper English. And number one, and probably the most important, just because you can have a baby, it doesn't mean you should, especially without planning for one or getting married first. More than 72% of children in the African-American community are born out of wedlock. That means absent fathers. And the studies show that lack of a male role model is an express train right to prison. And the cycle continues. 
Pete, if Don Lemon said what he said in 2013 on TV today on CNN, there would be no question he would be fired. Um, How do you respond when you hear that? Well, Don Lemon is a bit of a chameleon. I don't completely fault him because he's not unique in that. It seems as if everybody who wants to appear on uh, the network programs, on almost every other cable show except for those on Fox, has to toe a party line. And it's unfortunate because we are hurting America generally, black community in general. His five-point plan um, can really be reduced down to one, and that is get married before you have a kid. That's simple. Get married before you have a kid. We've done studies on this. A number of people have done studies on this that show when you control for every other variable between whites and blacks, Hispanics, Asians, whatever. When you control for every variable, the one thing that makes the biggest difference in outcomes is whether or not a child was born to married parents. And when you look at the disparities right now, this is unequivocal, almost irrefutable. When you look at the statistics, when you control for every other factor, when a black child and a white child are compared, if the, the children come from married households, virtually every disparity completely disappears. Yet we're out here, both from governmental policy and cultural imperative, telling people you don't need to get married and we're denigrating marriage. Anyway, that's a little bit uh, of a uh, departure from your initial question with Don Lamont. You have to, when you are on those shows, and frankly, when you want to pay fealty to the left, recite certain absurd propositions. Now, what he said was absurd, but he, the, the problem for him is he departed from the party line. You cannot depart from party lines. You've seen it so many times if somebody says something, even in jest or somebody makes a slight, you know, it just has kind of a, for lack of a better term, a brain fart. Uh, the left comes down on you big time. You have to adhere to the party line. That is endemic in the left. It started, you know, a long time ago. Heck, it started with Marxism and moved on from there 150 years ago. So, uh, you know, he's simply experiencing the fruits, the natural fruits of the policies and prescriptions to which he adheres so tightly. And he departed from that, made a, made a, you know, made a, a huge cultural blunder, and he may not be uh, employed any longer. I don't know what they're going to do with him. The fact that he, you know, missed yesterday, apparently, I don't watch his show, so I have no idea. The, the only thing I know about Don Lamont is what I hear about him from Tucker Carlson. But, and he does seem to be somewhat of an absurd character. Um, but yeah. nonetheless, regardless if you're absurd or not, if you're serious, the cultural imperative that is everywhere now, virtually every institution and system embraces it and compels you to act in a good, as a good little Marxist, and you can only say certain things. And again, going off on another tangent, it's evidenced by this drive now, as you've heard in the last week or so, of publishing companies going back and scrubbing purportedly offensive material from classics, from, from huge authors. You know, uh, there's a meme out there that says, uh, you know, with George Orwell's picture saying, hey, wait a minute, I didn't plan this for this to be 
an instruction manual, meaning the, the novel 1984. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've exceeded 1984, maybe not oh, yeah. in its conclusion, but the drive here is extraordinary, must be resisted at all costs. That will be the conclusion, though. We are absolutely on that path, 100%. I mean, they're trying to change James and the Giant Peach, for crying out loud. But super quick, going back to the, the Dalaman thing, do you believe that if today's African-American culture leaders, if Black Lives Matter, for example, preached that message, Respect your community. Don't trash it the way you know the way you do because in the white communities they don't do that. He Don Lemon lived knows he lives in them. Stop using the N word to denigrate yourselves and one another. Stop looking like you're you're a thug by wearing your pants down around your ankles. Stop uh, uh, having babies out of wedlock, which of course you focused on there, and make sure you get your education because if you don't, you are destined for uh, you know that life on the street. If Black Lives Matter took that five point plan and promoted it daily, and it was something that was on joy read every day and really try to uplift the black community, how much of a difference do you think it would make? Oh, it would make a, a large difference. The problem, however, Bob, is that's a fantasy world. I, I know I it is. To say I know. That. I know. Uh, and the, the primary reason for that, there's several, but one is a political imperative, and that is that the Democratic Party cannot survive without the black vote. I mean, unless they get 80 Five to 90 percent of the black vote. I did a study years ago that showed that without reaching 88 percent of the black vote nationally, Democratic Party cannot win. If it goes below 88 percent, that's extraordinary. So it's imperative that the Democratic Party keep the black vote, for lack of a better term, in fealty to the Democrats. That is, follow the Democrat prescription. And anyone who aspires to higher office must repeat those nostrums. So they're saying this damaging stuff all of the time because of self-regard and self-interest. That's why they're doing it. So I agree without question. I've been saying this for a long time. A lot of folks have been saying this from Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, Clarence Thomas. I mean, everybody's been saying this. And it's just common sense. You don't have to have any great thought leader to tell you these things. But um, if that were to be done so much of the problems that we're currently seeing in society, and frankly, you know, what we see now in terms of uh, the black community is what we're seeing in many precincts of the white community. There's this devolution that's occurring because of, you know, the destruction of the family. So, you know, for all of society, we have to go back to just common sense prescriptions, and we're not. The, the, there's a political imperative that destroys that. And Marxism depends on continued division between class, and class didn't work that well in the United States because everyone has upward mobility if they choose to have it. So they resorted to racial division. And that's one of the principal reasons why we see constant racial strife now, because there's political benefits to be reaped therefrom. Peter Kersenow with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Very, very good answer to a very, very, uh, you know, hard, hard to, to understand subject for those of us who are not a part of that community. But, uh, but you're right. There is such a huge role that politics and, yes, money plays in continuing to advance the uh, we are oppressed racial narrative. Peter, let's take a time out. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, one of the biggest stories by your own description that nobody is covering. The requirement at the federal level for all government agencies to um, to uh, uh, implement equity, or DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity plans in all government agencies. I'll let you pontificate, since you like that so much, coming up on AM 1420 VS.
Okay, 1026 and a half now. Pete, this is only a three and a half minute uh, segment, so I don't want to get too deep into the pontification about DEI or DIE. <laughs> so let me ask you instead about something that might be a little bit easier and a little quicker for you to comment on. Yesterday, Biden went to Kiev, Ukraine, and told the uh, President there, Zelensky, and the Ukrainian people, you can count on another $500 million from us. And, oh, by the way, there is no end to that, uh, that giving. Our charity to, uh, to uh, uh, Ukraine thus far is, is $113 billion in, now another half trillion, or excuse me, half billion, rather, to add to that number, and there is no end in sight. And you say what? I say there's a lot to say about that that's already been said by a number of people. But uh, the first is, this would never have happened in the first place. You and I have discussed, discussed this more than a year ago. Had Biden not had that disastrous pullout of, from Afghanistan, this is all a domino effect from that. We left behind $80 billion of equipment, much of which the Russians have, by the way, right now. But that signaled to our adversaries that we were weak and it was time to make a move. And the number two thing that happened was when Biden said or uh, just speculated out loud on national television that, well, it depends on what Putin does, whether or not we go in. If it's just a little incursion, so what? And immediately thereafter, that was it. He had been lined up on the border and went in. So Biden's fecklessness, this ridiculous foreign policy he's got, if it is a foreign policy, got us to where we are right now. But the easy comparisons are we give $113 billion total in equipment, financial aid to Ukraine, but not a dollar to East Palestine, as a number of people have said. We can give all that money to Ukraine, but nothing for our border. We can go there and rattle our sabers, but we do nothing with respect to the cartels on the southern border. This is ridiculous. And the fact that the president would go out there, because as I said at the outset, he is the chief architect of this debacle. If Trump or anybody halfway credible were in office, Russia would not have done this. That's what has to be first kept in mind. Elections have consequences, and sometimes those consequences can be disastrous. And this is, you know, one of these things where you wonder where the rest of, look, there are patriots within the Democratic Party. I know some of you are going to say, what, where, show me. But there are. Where are they, and why aren't they excoriating the president from this? Look, all of us, I think, are against the aggression, and I know all of us are against the aggression by Putin. We have no brief for, for Vladimir Putin. But that doesn't mean we go off and get involved in wars with blank checks all over the place. This is stunning stuff. We don't have a foreign policy. We've got meandering from one issue to the next, trying to put out fires that we ourselves have ignited. Just bad news. And, you know, I'll say again, where is all that money for East Palestine? Where is all that money for the border? Stunning stuff. And by the way, with respect to East Palestine, we could go on and on and on about that. A failure of government on virtually every level except for local. I'd like to know where our state officials are. I'd like to know definitely where our federal officials are, because this is something meriting a federal response, and they are missing in action. Just extraordinary, unforgivable. And I tell you, we have to have more Republicans standing up and yelling bloody murder because of this. Because if they can do this to American citizens by the, at the same time lavishing billions upon some government that hasn't done us any favors whatsoever, then what the heck are we paying taxes for? 
Peter Kersenow with us on AM 1420, The Answer. That's a great question. We've got more coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1036, now we do continue. Peter Kersenow with us uh, once again on this Tuesday. Okay, Pete, um, I usually like to give you a nice setup uh, for the next question and your commentary on uh, on the issue of the day, but uh, I'm not going to do that in this time because you pretty much have given me the issue and said nobody's talking about it, so you want to talk about it. I'll let you lay it out. Lay it out. President Biden's executive order requiring government agencies to implement equity, and probably the other two as well, DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, in all their programs and functions. Tell us what you're talking about. Yeah, very quietly, but very proudly, the Biden administration has issued the implementation protocols for Executive Order 13985. Now, the number is important if you want to call your representative, and you should. Call Jim Jordan. I am sending a brief to Jim Jordan's office because the House Judiciary Committee has the wherewithal and the jurisdiction to cover this. There needs to be hearings on this because this is titanic. That's not not an exaggeration. It's these kinds of things that, unfortunately, too many Republicans, too many good Americans don't see this. It flies under the radar. Next thing you know, son of a gun. They've implemented something that's going to have far-reaching effects for our entire country. What this is doing, and and again, I'll, I'll get into the specifics, but it is not an exaggeration for your listeners to understand this, that this is the implementation, very quietly, of socialism in every department and agency and program of the federal government. And it's going to be top down. What this requires Executive Order 13985 is equity be implemented throughout every department and organization. They have a definition of equity, and when you take a look at it, what it comes down to is socialism. And here's what they say explicitly. Equal outcomes. Equal outcomes must be the result of the activities of departments and agencies of the federal government with respect to policy with respect to regulations, technology, service delivery, financial assistance, everything that they do, equal outcomes. And they stress that the equal outcomes are directed toward, and I don't have the the, uh, implementation um, uh, language in front of me right now, so I'm doing this off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. but it's for um, all black, Hispanic, Asian, uh, everybody, per, every person of color, LGBT, women, um, rural uh, uh, people, but not white males, especially not straight white males, and there are other categories left explicitly out. But the point is that this is all about having equal outcomes, which is the antithesis of everything that our civil rights doctrine is all about. That is, it's, I'll say, it again, what Martin Luther King said, because he said it so beautifully, and it bears repetition every single minute of the day, because everyone seems to forget about it, is that we judge people based on content of character, not color of skin, but this order judges people on their sex and color of skin, and does so in a racially, dis- what's a racial discrimination, where you have equal outcomes. If, if they're going to do that, then I demand that the NBA be at least 70% white. This is nuts what's going on here, and it gives them untold power 
to effectuate these outcomes, if you can dictate what a particular uh, organization looks like or program looks like based on racial uh, components, then you can do virtually anything you wish. So this is probably, uh, again, depends on implementation, but on its face, it appears to be a clear violation of the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. And remember, the EEOC is Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, not Equal Employment Results Commission. This is so antithetical to the American prospect, the American ideal, um, and I heard absolutely nothing about it on major media. I, I saw some discreet references to it on a couple of right-wing crank web websites, as you know, I like to write for some of these, but um, very small, and I don't think people really appreciate the potential, not the potential, the definite results of this. So I would encourage people, once they get sufficiently up to speed on this, because I'm hopeful somebody like a Tucker and others will seize upon this and explain a little bit more, that they'll get in touch with their elected representatives and say, this must stop. We are looking at socialism being imposed on the United States of America without a shot being fired. Not being histrionic about that, have to be smart about this. The left does these things. Usually they're very sh small incursions. We don't even realize what happened, like the you know, frog in a boiling pot. And, but this is one giant leap, not for mankind, but for progressivism in the socialist experiment. So executive order 13985. Educate yourself on it. Get in touch with Jim Jordan's office. I'll be sending a brief to Jim Jordan on this so he has hearings. The Civil Rights Commission does not have the resources that the Judiciary Com Committee has to address this matter. And I am really uh, concerned Fox. that this is another one they're going to slip by the Republicans, and next thing you know, we're done. Fox did a story on it five days ago, and I'll read uh, just a short portion of it. Biden on Thursday signed an executive order that directs all federal agencies to produce an annual equity action plan aimed at removing barriers to agency resources for, quote, underserved communities, which, of course, means the uh, political, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Pete, uh, the political... Identity, identity politics, yeah, yeah, right. I'm sorry, identity, identity politics right. that we're talking about. So in other words, all of the marginalized groups from black to gay to this to that. Yeah. The move follows Biden's 2021 executive order, and this is what I'm really concerned about, Pete, is that I don't think a whole lot of people were, were aware of this. I wasn't until I saw this story. In 2021, Biden's executive order advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. That's a mouthful. That's what the order was called, though, in which agency uh, uh, agencies were asked to launch a whole-of-government approach to equity. Um, that order has already, even before this new quote-unquote action plan that you're talking about that's recent, that original order from 2021 has already directed billions of dollars in federal resources to disadvantaged communities since it was signed. So you're exactly right. This is just another word for or another explanation of racial discrimination and sex discrimination because, you know, if women are perceived to be underserved or, or marginalized, well, then they get the money and they get the opportunities that men don't. Blacks to whites, gays to straights, and, and trans to non-trans, and so on and so forth. That is exactly what this does. And, Pete, what you said is exactly right. Why is it that only in the sporting world and maybe in the entertainment industry, like music, that is there unabashed meritocracy? 
In other words, if you can sing, it doesn't matter what you look like or what you are. You're going to sell records or sell, yes, downloads. It would be now on phones and so forth. And if you can play, you're going to get the job. Um, if, if they tried to run the NBA the way Biden wants to run the federal government, and, and, and that would be, and his cabinet, they would have to do what? To match the demographics of the country, you'd have to have 70% of the roster be white. You'd have to have 13% of the roster be black. You'd have to have, what, about 18% of the roster would have to be Latino. You'd have to have 5% of the roster, which means at least one player is going to have to be trans. Uh, and you'd, and well, wait, women are almost 50%. They'd have to take up almost 50% of the roster. If you ran an NBA franchise that way, Peter, how many games do you think they win? Yeah, well, um, my recollection is that Jason Seahorn was the last white defensive back in the NFL. So um, the reason why that's done is because it's a meritocracy and uh, minorities succeed at those endeavors in disproportionate numbers. And so it's not a problem from the standpoint of our political uh, elites and our thought leaders, so-called thought leaders. Um, this is um, something, again, I, I repeat myself on this, but the profound implications of this cannot be understated. We are talking about overt discrimination. And yes, we talk, Bob, don't throw yourself short. We did talk about that executive order you just uh, talked about. That's what this is implementing. That was just right. out there saying, here's what we're going to do. This now implements it. Um, and this is, it's, it's un-American. That's what it is. It's just basically un-American. It's stupid. It's discriminatory. It's racist. It's sexist. It's un-American. And it's going to destroy the United States of America. We're already at each other's throats in a way that I can't remember in my lifetime. And the divisions between us are atomizing at a rapid rate. It used to be, you know, just maybe on the basis of race. Now it's almost on every protected classification you can think of. This is going to exacerbate it even more. But aside from the division, which is bad enough, what this does is cement socialism into the federal construct. This is what it does. When you have equal outcomes, that's the essence of socialism slash Marxism. Again, this is not histrionic. This is simple fact, and it's alarming that we don't have enough people out there. Well, look, this is just simply issued. Maybe not everyone's reading the Federal Register. I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, I try to read as much as I can, and uh, I happen to catch this. I, I was not, it was not even on my radar screen, got in touch with my general counsel, my counsel on the Civil Rights Commission. We both examined it and were alarmed, and uh, we immediately started writing a brief for Jim Jordan so that he can address this with the resources of the Judiciary Committee because the Civil Rights Commission is split 4-4 between progressives and conservatives, so this will not be addressed. This will never pass. And on top of that, we don't have the resources to address this the right way. When you're talking about a wholesale change in the character of the country, the Civil Rights Commission is ill-equipped, doesn't have the resources for it. So it's imperative, you know, folks, and I also... uh, uh, apologize for not following my own prescription about keeping the index card with the telephone number of your elected representative next door next to you. Um, I can't find mine right now, but get <laughs> in touch excused. with all right. <laughs> right. Get in touch with Jim Jordan by email, by fax, by anything, by telephone, and say alert him to this. This is something judiciary needs to address right now. Bring members of the administration before you and ask them questions, like you ask Taji Brown Jackson whether or not you know you can define what a woman is. This is the kind of stuff that is indefensible. If you ask them 
straightforward questions, it will bring to light to the American people, at least those that don't watch ABC, CBS, NBC, which will clearly boycott it. But it will bring to light nonetheless to the American people the danger inherent in this and the sheer unfairness and un-Americanness of this. It, again, we're counting on the basis of race. We're counting on the basis of immutable characteristics. It is most likely going to be thrown out as unlawful, but that's way down the road. And by that time, if it's ever adjudicated 10 years from now, by the time the Supreme Court decides it, um, we're going to be bound up uh, almost like Gulliver. Um, Gulliver's Travels, you know, I mean, we're going to be bound up with socialism and all of these mechanisms that are going to restrain the United States of America, curb our freedoms, and make us count on the basis of immutable characteristics. It's unforgivable. I've been using that term so much in the last several months, Bob, but this administration has got its foot on the gas pedal of absurdity. Yeah, um, they absolutely do, Pete, and... um... You were right about Jason Seahorn. I just checked it while you were talking. How many white cornerbacks are in the are there in the NFL right now? And the answer is all sixty four of the current starting cornerbacks uh, for the uh, uh, for the uh, thirty two teams in the in the league are black. And I'm about to tweet when our conversation is over that if I were a white cornerback in college who has not been signed by the NFL or isn't drafted, I'd file a federal lawsuit for racial discrimination because, according to the Biden administration, equity demands that we have at least half, if not more than half, of the cornerbacks in the National Football League be white because they are, by their uh, statistical definition, a marginalized group. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in mind the power that this gives to the federal government Mm -hmm. beyond the despicable nature of counting by immutable characteristic by race and sex, etc. This gives untold power to the federal government to dictate outcomes. This is extraordinary. This is what kings do. We do not cede this kind of authority to our elected representatives, but particularly those who have no clue what they're doing, such as this particular president and his minions. Exactly right. Pete, let me uh, let me take the last minute here or two that we have to ask you one more question, and I'm kind of torn between which one it is, but uh, I'm going to run with the question about the WHO. We talked about it a little bit in the past, but there's been an update to the story just uh, uh, on Monday. The Biden administration, I think this was in PJ, Gateway Pundit, uh, the Biden administration is currently in negotiations with Tedros, the leader of the World Health Organization, to surrender full sovereignty of the United States to the WHO's whims uh, in the event of a future health emergency. Uh, and how they define a health emergency is how they define pandemic, and that is basically up to the World Health Organization to decide. They'll decide if it's a pandemic and a health emergency. And when they decide that it is, they will take full control, not exaggerating this, they will take full control of the American economy and American civil rights. Everything that we do, they will decide what gets to stay open. They will decide who gets to be or has to be locked down. They will decide who can leave. They will decide who can speak out on this. They will literally control everything. It is a very, very, very dark and disturbing story. And our own president is right now has his State Department negotiating the terms with the World Health Organization. Pete, to me, that's impeachable, but uh, who am I? Um, This is what the State Department is doing for Joe Biden. Quick response. Right, a couple things. First of all, Joe Biden's not doing this. Susan Rice is doing this. People want to know who's running the government. It's principally Susan Rice. She of Benghazi fame. Um, But in any event, 
There's something um, that some of your listeners may be familiar with, at least heard about it from time to time tangentially. It's called the Constitution, and there's something called Article 2, Section 2, um, that would probably render this unlawful. Not that that would necessarily be an impediment to their aims here or what they would attempt to do. Um, but the practical effect of this is, just as you stated, it's extraordinary, it's breathtaking, because look at what happened during covid all of the freedoms that were surrendered, and in my estimation, many of them were surrendered, or not surrendered, but taken from us in an unlawful manner. In fact, there was litigation all over the place with respect to some of the lockdowns and the effects thereof, the, the uh, OSHA mandate, remember that, that went down in flames that uh, Biden tried to implement. But think about the fact that these things were done by our own elected representatives. At least we had a little bit of control over them because we have the ability to vote against them if we don't like what they do. And then we can get somebody in there that will reverse some of the mandates or adjust them in some fashion. But we, as a free people, have the ability to control these outcomes. How we are going to respond to certain titanic events but our administration is doing what Democrats in the last 40 years have been attempting to do and have been successful in doing to some extent, that is farming out our sovereignty to global organizations, folks who do not have our interests at heart, but most importantly, do not represent us. They are not the American people. This is something that, I mean, unfortunately, Bob, you and I have been at events where we talk about our, our educational system and the, the deficits pertaining thereto. This could not happen. This could not happen in the 1950s when people had at least a fundamental understanding of what our rights and liberties were. But um, this needs to be stopped by our elected representatives by yelling and screaming, using the bully pulpit as, as often and as loudly as they can. I, you know me, Bob, I've said this a number of times, I get really upset because I think there's not enough energy in the Republican Party. We don't, we don't yell and scream enough, and sometimes that has utility. It's not simply casting a quiet vote, that's important. It's not simply comporting yourself with dignity, that's very, very important. But every once in a while, you've got to do a Howard Beale. You know, from network, be mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. And we don't do enough of that to alert our fellow citizens, because so much of this is being done under the radar, where even some of our more progressives or non-political friends would object to this if they were aware of what was happening and the ramifications. So to my Republican friends out there who have microphones, get out there, yell and scream and educate and motivate people to go out there and do the bidding of the American people. Because this... This is, um, I'm going to use it unforgivable for the second time today and maybe the 13,000th time since probably September. You can't do this and call yourself the United States of America. Peter Kersenow, saying it as only Peter Kersenow can. I'm glad you had a few vo uh, a few words left after uh, filling the entire show on, uh, on Friday. Uh, Pete, thanks for doing that for me. Thanks for your thoughts this morning, as always, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, sir. That's Kersenow. That's a lot to chew on, and a lot of facts that he brought to the table there. Uh, guest three the rest of the way. So the third hour, 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Going to talk about a national divorce. Marjorie Taylor Greene says it's time. It's time to divide red states and blue states and literally separate ourselves. Separate constitutions, separate everything. How do you feel about that? That's coming up on Always Right Radio. It's
Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway now at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. We just had two terrific and important conversations. And I hope you heard them. If you didn't, you're going to need to listen to them after the show. Sometime around 1 o'clock, it'll be available at the podcast page of whkradio.com. So I'm, um, I'm reading and trying to make a little bit of sense from um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's um, statement on Twitter that the American people are ready, and if they're not ready, they should be ready for a divorce. They should be ready for a divorce because we have irreconcilable differences with our spouse. Who is our spouse? Well, it's the other side of the ideological aisle. The other side of the aisle is is Democrats for Republicans. The other side of the aisle is Republicans for Democrats. But more specifically, rather than party, it is ideological in terms of conservatism versus leftism or borderline Marxism. I think that's the reality. Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted yesterday on President's Day. She's, of course, a representative from Georgia. She tweeted yesterday, quote, We need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this. From the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous which is an interesting word. I think she means treasonous. Traitorous America last policies. We are done. She followed that up with a, t- uh, with a tweet today, um, which was in response to a Joe Biden tweet about his little uh, man crush uh, meeting with, uh, with President Zelensky in Ukraine. She followed that up with a, with a tweet that said, if we do not impeach Biden then we need the national divorce. So in other words, that's a slight step back. Quote, impeach Biden or give us a national divorce. We don't pay taxes to fund foreign countries' wars who aren't even NATO allies. We aren't sending our sons and daughters to die for foreign borders and foreign democracy. America is broke. Criminals and cartels reign, and you're a fool. And that was directed to Biden, the part about you're a fool. So, the response to Marjorie Taylor Greene's we need a national divorce, the responses have been very interesting, and I want to kind of get yours, 216-901-0945 and 888 Are the differences and the divisions 
that separate us irreconcilable to the point where we should be divorced from one another. They can run their own states their own way. We can run our red states our way. This wouldn't be a divorce and a division with a secession line like there, like there was with the North and the South in the Civil War. This was, you know, in the Confederacy. This isn't like there's the Mason-Dixon line and this half is this way. And the, because you can't. You can't just draw a line down the middle of the country and say the eastern half is, is Republican, the western half. Uh, it would have to be up to the states themselves, of course. The states would have to decide. The states would have to vote and decide uh, you know, uh, how they want to handle this, in which union, if you will, that they would want to join, right? Because you know, you got a blue, an entirely blue state of New York, New York, with New York City being the largest uh, populated uh, city in the country, uh, which would be want to be part of the the you know the the blue America, if you will. And you'd have the same thing in California. So how would you do? It? You can't do it that way. They would have to be just basically, you know, a, a cherry picked map, uh, and each state would have to decide which side of the country do you wish to be, or which union in in new and new country would you want to be a part of. Which isn't that crazy if you consider the fact that we are the continental United States, but we do have you know non-contiguous uh, states like Alaska and, and Hawaii, and then of course territories like Puerto Rico and Guam. So you know we bebop around the map anyway, so it's not that crazy. But the question is, is whether or not it's something you would support. Uh, some responses to Marjorie Taylor Greene included, "This is treasonous." Period. All who support Green's call to end the USA should have their U.S. citizenship revoked, period. Uh, my friend Wayne Dupree, who I've had on this program before, said, We are the United States of America, not the separated states. This is lunatic talk. We have better ideas to move the country along, and you as a so-called lawmaker should have a better approach about explaining it to non-voters. Uh, some have said that... Uh, advocating for the dividing dividing the USA, a.k.a. sedition, Americans have a long tradition of working through political differences. We've got lunatics on both sides. What's needed is wise, stable leadership to inspire unity and responsible policies. And as I told Peter, I responded, and, and Congressman Jordan, I responded to some of these uh, people on Twitter myself. You can follow me on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, Rants, R-A-N-T-Z, or just look for Always Right Radio. And I responded by saying, you know, point of fact here is we started this country. Its foundation was based on a divorce. We filed for divorce and got one from Great Britain, from England. Fought a war over it. Many divorces are like wars. There's a lot of casualties, and there's a lot of damage, and there's a lot of property damage and other, and other things. So the, the metaphor here is not crazy. But the question is, is would you be for it, or do you think that we can find common ground to continue to work through our disputes and our marital you know, uh, discord that we're suffering through right now and fix it and, and come together united? And I have to tell you, I have my doubts that that'll ever happen. The response that I just read, one of the responses I just read from a uh, former uh, U.S. Marine Corps colonel, um, the one that said, we have a long tradition of working through political differences. We've got lunatics on both sides, but what's needed is wise, stable leadership to inspire unity and responsible policies. My problem with that very measured approach, and there's nothing wrong with what he said, is that it's the, the, the problem is in the solution. 
If the solution is to find wise, stable leadership to inspire unity and responsible policies, well, that's the problem. We can't agree on what is wise, stable leadership. People on the Democrat side think Joe Biden provides wise, stable leadership. We think he's a nut. We think he is an American sovereignty-selling Marxist in, you know, Democrats' clothing, uh, dementia, you know, addled lunatic. And then over there on the blue side, they think Donald Trump is exactly the same thing, a lunatic, a maniac, a danger to the world, the next Hitler. If we can't decide on what is wise, stable leadership to the point where we're talking about stolen elections, then I, I, I think maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is on to something here. We can't even decide whether or not we're going to teach our children that females were born to be mothers and to bear children, born with the capacity to do so by way of their genetic code and the organs inside their bodies, including ovaries and eggs and fallopian tubes and a uterus. And that no one can pretend to have those things by putting on makeup, putting on wigs, and cutting off their breasts. No one can, I'm sorry, that would be to go the other direction. Um, putting on the wigs and putting on the dresses and so on and so forth. Nobody can say they have those, those when they don't. And then on the flip side, it would be, of course, uh, that women are not men because they don't have testicles and penises and produce sperm, which is intended to procreate by inseminating those eggs in the other species, in the other sex. If we can't agree on telling our children that men are men and women are women, males are males and females are females, and no matter what somebody thinks inside their head, men cannot have babies and women cannot produce sperm to create babies. If we can't even agree on that, maybe the differences are irreconcilable. If we can't agree that sexualizing three, four, five, six, and seven-year-olds by way of drag queen normalization, by way of pornographic content in schools and in libraries and on shelves, and teachers pushing sexual identification lessons on these little kids, if we can't agree that that's bad, if half of the country thinks that's okay, and in fact that's healthy, that's affirming, well, then maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene is right. Maybe the differences are irreconcilable. If half of the country believes that the best way to protect oneself from potential danger, harm, and lethal threats is to take advantage of something that our founders thought was so important to put in the Bill of Rights as as the second amendment to the Constitution, to give us the right to bear arms so that we can protect ourselves. And anybody who wants to go back through American history at every single level of our history, every decade, and going back for the last two and a half centuries, you will see that what the, the people who survived all of the trials and travails of, of, of being uh, you know, an American and settling a country, settling literal country, countryside, building cities, defending oneself against bandits, thieves, raiders, and so forth, was to be armed 
at every single step. If half the country understands this and says, yes, we must protect our Second Amendment, the other half thinks that everybody will be safer because criminals wouldn't dare commit crimes if there were no guns. They wouldn't have guns because guns would be against the law. And the other half believes that, then maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene is right. If one half of the country thinks that taking American tax dollars and sending them all around the globe to benefit other people and ra- while some American people suffer and struggle and starve, rather than creating opportunities for these people to get jobs and to work, then maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene is right. I mean, there are some very, very deep ideological divides And the ones about the economy are almost secondary to the ones that are more about our souls and about who we are and what we are. So when Marjorie Taylor Greene says, we want our national divorce, red states should should be able to decide we are a part of the United... And I'm just, I'm not, not picking names here, I'm just trying to do this for the sake of differentiation. The United Red States of America... And they can declare themselves as such by their own state constitution, constitutional amendments, declaring which part of the country or which country they are part of. And the blue states can do the same thing. If we were to do this, um, I have to tell you, I would feel very, very good about living in a red state. And if I, if this state was not satisfactorily read to the tune of conservatism that I believe in, if it was read to the tune of a Mike DeWine rhino type of thing, then I would move to a red state. And I think a lot of other people would as well. The red states of America would be self-reliant, would be limited government in scope. It would believe in education and not indoctrination. It would believe in protectionism. It would believe in the Second Amendment. It would believe it would believe most importantly in every single facet of the First Amendment, all five protections, things that the blue states would not have. There's a video that I saw on uh, Twitter this morning of a young man being arrested in uh, Canada. Uh, And the caption of the video of him being arrested says, 16-year-old Josh Alexander has been suspended from St. Joseph Catholic High School in Ontario, Canada, for protesting against transgender people using the bathrooms there and for saying God only created two genders. Leadership of the school, according to the report here, told him his continued attendance at that school would be detrimental to the physical and mental well-being of transgendered students. He tried to come back to school anyway and was arrested for trespassing. Why do I bring that up? Because that would be the United Blue States of America. They would support this. They would take away his right to speak and his right to be educated, his right to be there, if he didn't say things that they agreed with. If he said something that somebody else might take offense to, that would be the blue states of America. If we divide blue from red and have two different countries occupying our North American territory, if we were to divide that, I would predict the demise of the United Blue States of America inside of a decade and a thriving red states of America for centuries to come. I firmly believe that. Now I want to know what you believe. 216-901-0945, 888-281-1110. You tell me. Always right radio right back. 
All right, it's 1126. Let's get a few other thoughts on this. I wanted to give you mine in some measured detail there because I really think you have to consider all aspects. We're talking about natural resources. I didn't even get to those yet. Uh, The red states are pretty much the oil-producing states. That's a huge issue. They're the coal-producing states. The blue states are the wind and the solar. Let's see how far you last on windmills and uh, solar panels. We'll go on with our fossil fuels and see what happens in the red states. I feel very, very good about that. Uh, Rose is in Vermillion. Rose, you're on AM 1420. The answer, good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm fine, Rose. Good. Hey, I have a comment on uh, the divorce. Um, I agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, I think it's a good idea. And uh, Idaho, I'm sorry, uh, Oregon, uh, 11, sta- 11 counties in Oregon have voted to secede and become Greater Idaho. And it was approved by the House of Representatives in uh, Oregon. I saw and that. I guess. Oh, did you? Okay. It's been a while. Um, it's been a few months. I don't know where it stands right now, but I remember seeing something about that a few months ago that that was happening. Yeah. So it, it you know, and I think there's other states that are trying to do it too. So uh, it's possible. It is possible. So you think it would be a good idea? I, cer- I certainly do. What if the impossible happened? And Ohio wasn't joining the red states of America, and they declared themselves to be a state of the blue states of America. Would you stay or would you move? I would move. I would, too. I would, too. Rose, thank you. Appreciate the direct answer to the question. Uh, Let's go to uh, Tanya in Akron. Tanya, go ahead. Hey, Bob. I would, I would, I agree with Marjorie Taylor. I agree. I agree with her totally. But I also agree that. The way we would have to divide it up is east coast, west coast, or north and south, and people would have to. Why? Make why do you think that? Out. Why do you think that? Because we we would have to be able to have our own. We would have to have this. This we have defendable boundaries, and just having. Well, each state would have state, its own. Each state would have its own boundaries to defend, right? I mean, because like I said before. Then it then, then it wouldn't be a country. Why not? Okay. Because we would look more like Europe, and then we would end up having to do a lot of different other things. I don't see how it, I don't see how it can happen without... We, we yes. have four U.S. territories or states, though, that are not part of the continental United States. Puerto Rico, Guam, Hawaii, and Alaska, they're all independent, have their own borders, and have their okay. own protections, and so on and so forth. So why couldn't... Okay, why couldn't and, they're all, and they're all basically isolated. Alaska is isolated, true. Guam is isolated, Puerto Rico is isolated, and the District of Columbia is surrounded by everyone else who takes care of them. That okay. is true, but my so, point is, my so point is, we couldn't draw, we couldn't just draw a line down the middle of the country and say the eastern half is is red and the western half is blue, considering the fact that millions upon millions of people who are on the other side of that ideological spectrum live there and would elect the leaders, elect leaders accordingly. We would never have the divorce. We would just have two different countries that would both turn out to be balkanized. They would both still be separated by the same ideological differences that separate us as a whole country. Now we would have to let Ohio be red and let's say for the sake of it Michigan be blue to the north of us and then have you know Illinois be blue to the to the west of us and you know Indiana and probably Kentucky would stay red in other words they would have to decide 
ideologically where they wanted to be, not geographically, because we couldn't make that happen. I understand all of that, but the whole thing is that as long as they're using the red, okay, quote-unquote, red people's money, the blue people will always end up surviving. Because, like... You know, what is but it, that uh, would be the reason for the divorce, wouldn't it? Uh, wouldn't it, though, Tanya? That would be the reason for the divorce. Well, we don't fund the, them I, anymore. I they are going to have to make their own money and give it away to their residents. They're going to have to find a way to fund <laughs> themselves. We will continue to to you know allow people opportunities to work. And and you know what would happen too? I think we would start to see a self segregation. You would see people who don't want to work for a living move to the blue states where they know the welfare state is alive and well. And continue to to suckle at the you know at the the teat of the isn't new that, blue states of America, that, and we'd be stronger as a result. State? We'd be stronger isn't for their that, own absence. <laughs> it's a fascinating state. I just like I just think it's almost like Moses and Lot. You know, you choose where you want to go, and we'll take the rest. There and you go. Eventually, yeah. we ended up having to save Lot. Okay, but this time we... No, I, I got you. Tanya, I got to hit it here. I'm way late. It's 11.32 now. Let's take our news and we'll come right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. 11.38 now. We'll continue on Always Right Radio for about another seven minutes. We'll take you uh, to Bill O'Reilly, who will give you the last 15-minute ride up to uh, Charlie Kirk and then Dennis Prager right here on AM 1420, The Answer. We're talking about a national divorce. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene says we cannot reconcile with the other side. We need the red states of America and the blue states of America, separate constitutions, separate presidents, separate governments, and separate resources. And let's see what happens. I feel very, very confident that I would be in the right place. Let's go to um, TJ in Wesley, or uh, excuse me, in Cleveland. TJ, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, I partially agree with uh, the congresswoman. You know, to do a national divorce really is impractical. But she did make a good point. The federal government's power should be stripped a lot more than what it has now. You know, originally the government, federal government was set up to protect the country and keep commerce going. Uh we're kind of seeing a little bit of what she said, like in Florida and Texas. People should have the right to be ruled the way they want to be ruled, and then let the people decide which state they want to live in. And the whole key here is to keep the federal government's nose out of this stuff. If the people in a certain state want to uh, educate their children in a certain way, the federal government has no right to come in and tell them what they can or they can't do. Uh, I, and I think that's we're going to see more and more of this, uh, people gravitating to states, that, that share their culture. And, and you know, this isn't the first time we've seen this in America. Bob, in the early 20th century, you had uh, people come in here. You had Irish, Polish neighborhoods, Italian, black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all Americans. Uh, when, you know, when push come to shove, they all pitched in, went to war. But they all chose to live in the neighborhood and the culture that they shared with other people. And I don't see any reason that can't be done now. You live in the state and share the culture uh, and, and, and stuff, uh, but you can't get away, you know, with the federal government. You need them. Yeah, and I think there's a different, and thank you for the call, my friend. There's a different kind of culture. You know, there is racial culture, ethnic culture. Um, as you just pointed out, that people kind of separated themselves by. But then there again, there is faith culture. 
There is um, social culture. There is ideological culture. And I think more people would rather be around people who shared those than shared their ethnicity or you know their similarities of backgrounds. Joe is in uh, Westlake. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Marjorie Taylor brought up a critical question. She's completely right that we need to separate, but unfortunately a bit misguided in the practicality of what she suggests. What we need to do is separate on a state, county, and town level, but not at a constitutional divide level, because that's just way too unrealistic. We don't have enough power to do that, but it is critical to focus on that separation as our top goal, because we're getting destroyed bit by bit. And how do we do that? We do that by building our own economic power. That's the biggest missing ingredient. We need to support our own patriot small businesses. Uh, Paul Craig Roberts, uh, under who worked for Reagan, he had a great article on LewRockwell.com yesterday that our, our Democratic voting is so screwed up we can't even trust it. That's why we need to switch to building economic power. Thanks. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, I, it would be extraordinarily ambitious, obviously. We'd be talking about literally um, secession, one side from the other, or an agreed separation, one way or the other, whether we called it secession or not. Uh, but it would be very, very difficult, there's no question. Uh, Maybe even impossible, particularly because we wouldn't be doing it, like I said before, dividing along a simple line, for dividing north from south the way we did uh, back, uh, which led to the Civil War. Um it would be impossible to do it that way. We would have to, as I say, kind of pinprick it. You know, this state is blue, this state is red, and so on and so forth, and they wouldn't share a same border, or at least all of them. So a lot of them would. In fact, the, the, the heartland of the United States, what the Democrats so flippantly call flyover country, they don't care about it. They just fly over it from one left-wing coast to the other left-wing coast, whether it be east or west. Um, that would all be, still be red, but you would have your periodic you know, dots of blue here and there that are part of the, uh, you know, the blue states of America. Um, it would be very, very difficult, but I maybe impossible, but it is something that there may come a time and within our lifetimes it is going to be explored because we are not headed anywhere toward reconciliation. I firmly believe that. Uh, Mike in Lakewood is next. Mike, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Yes, most wholeheartedly support the division uh, because uh, eight out of the ten most dependent states on the federal government money are red states, so the blue states would uh, economically benefit from this. Eight out of the ten of the least dependent states on the federal government are blue states, so the red states would have to raise their taxes like crazy or descend into poverty. Well, no, it, they wouldn't actually, because they wouldn't be giving away all of the money there, the, that they should be getting from the federal government uh, by way of our taxes. Let me ask you, since you're a leftist, Mike, would you stay in Red Ohio, or would you move to you know a, a place that's more aligned with your values? Oh, uh, if Ohio stayed red, I would want to certainly move to some place where decent people live. Okay, so so red people aren't decent people. A lot of them aren't. Okay. All right, I appreciate I mean, your honesty. I feel the same the, uh, way. If this, um, yeah, if this state was was filled with more people like you who are leftists, uh, and it made it a blue state, um, I'd I'd flee too because I don't want to live in a socialist republic. I want to live in a in a in a, uh, in a democratic capitalist republic. Uh, that's what I want. I want a democratic republic that is capitalist in in its economy, and that is most importantly. Uh, it is a believer in freedom and liberty, and the the amendments to the kind of bill, what we call the Bill of Rights are revered even the First not, Amendment are, that are revered and not reviled. Even the First a, Amendment, and most importantly, and especially the First Amendment. Well, how about all the book banning down by a Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida? 
That's, there's they no such thing. They book about Roberto Clemente. There's no such thing. Because... There's no Pardon such me? thing as book banning in in Florida. What you are, what you and the le- and thank you for the call, Mike. What you and the left call book banning, uh, Governor DeSantis and the Education Board down there, they are trying to protect children from from pornography, and that's it. They are not the ones trying to ban books. They're not trying to rewrite books because of offensiveness taken by people today. That's all the time we have, but I promise you, we'll talk more about this tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Be well. Be safe. Stay free. See you tomorrow. Bye bye. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.